This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm Amit Ghosh, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. The topic for today's discussion is telemedicine jumpstart. Of course, we have heard what COVID-19 has done to us. It has slowed our economy, completely disrupted everything that we know. However, one thing which has really taken a jump leap is, is telemedicine. Today, we are joined by Dr. Christopher Acre, Assistant Professor of Medicine and Vice Chairman of the Artificial De Intelligence of the Department of Internal Medicine at Mayo Clinic, Rochester. Welcome, Dr. Acre. Thank you for inviting me, Amit. I'm starting telemedicine, and I would like to hear from you a couple of your experiences and your ideas on it. Absolutely. So the last six weeks have really changed everything. Uh, in uh, the way we practice medicine, where uh, as soon as uh, states started going on lockdown, we were no longer able to see patients, but patients still had needs. Um, of course, not everybody uh, can be seen remotely, but we've been trying to figure out on the fly um, what, what types of patients or what uh, types of conditions can be seen and handled remotely and how best to triage people uh, so that they, can, uh, they do need to be seen in person what level of care they need to be seen at. Because of course, we don't want to be sending everyone to the emergency department that needs to be seen because that will overwhelm uh, their capabilities as well. So before all the COVID started, the telemedicine was a selected group. Uh, we knew exactly what kind of patients we were going to look at, some chronic cases. Uh, it was thought to be too new. It was thought to be requiring a lot more equipment. Um, history taking was supposed to be an issue. And in particular, examination of the patient was thought to be a big problem, but from what your experiences has been, all this has changed in the last six weeks. In the last six weeks, we have probably walked miles and miles of telemedicine and probably have gained about maybe a year of experience in telemedicine. But I want to hear from you, how has history taking and physical exam changed over the last six, six weeks? So uh, with telemedicine, of course, uh, really does put more of a focus on uh, the history-taking element of it. Uh, where things have changed from the, uh, the uh, physical examination side is there are still things we can do. We just have to be a little bit more creative with the way that we do them. In a lot of ways, we're uh, limited to uh, things like inspection and observation, but for even acute concerns, if someone's got a shoulder, uh, shoulder that hurts or if their knee hurts, having the patients uh, show us exactly what it is that makes that, uh, that pain come on and do some de more demonstration, much like you uh, do with uh, one of your patients in the office. Uh, and so it, it really has led to a lot of creative thinking to be able to answer some of these questions our patients have for us um, so that we can uh, give them the help they need. So in the last six weeks, have you had some stories to share? This is what I've learned and this is what I'm going to teach my residents and other doctors. So you mentioned uh, uh, teaching residents. So residents are some of the most adaptable people that uh, we meet uh, within, the, within training. And uh, they've been experiencing this at the same time. And so um, early on uh, with the transition to telemedicine, I was staffing resident clinic and uh, we were seeing several of our patients in these uh, telemedicine visits and really trying to uh, manage remotely some of the same things we see face-to-face, uh, -face, low back pain, knee pain. And uh, so some great examples from that, uh, we had some of uh, our patients come in uh, with uh, back pain and we we're trying to figure out, is this something 
that may potentially need to be intervened upon with either steroids or an injection or a urgent referral. And so uh, walking the patients through different exam maneuvers, okay, stand up, walk on your toes, walk on your heels, and really try to teach the residents, why did we have them do that specific maneuver? What are you looking for specifically uh, on that? And is the resolution of the camera enough where you're going to be able to see the definition of what you're looking for there? And sometimes you can do that uh, depending on the patient's hardware, and sometimes you can't. Sometimes the patients will need some extra help, uh, some to hold the, to hold the camera. And if that's not possible, just figure out different ways to get the right amount of visual information that you need from that. Sometimes it may be uh, something that happens after the visit. So we've had uh, several uh, interactions with a few of our patients where we uh, weren't able to track down the exact behavior that we're looking for. Uh, but they were able to record it on video for us and send it back later once we told them specifically what we were looking for or send us pictures uh, when they were in the right circumstance where it came on. And so it's just being able to use all these extra different tools that were available to us, but were not as used uh, because we had the uh, opportunities to do things face-to-face. So some of the education that you were doing, was it with the patient in in the process of being examined or was it after? And if it was during the intervention when you're doing and uh, videotaping this patient, how did they take it? Were they, were they happy with it? Learning that there's something going on which they're learning from it or uh, how did they take this interaction when you were talking with the resident with the patient there? It's a great question. Uh, a lot of this was pre-visit. And so uh, there were some things where some of our residents had uh, some questions about, okay, how am I going to assess this specific issue by video? And so we just kind of walked through, and that's where we had that uh, thought experiment. Uh, what are you looking for? What are, uh, what are you hoping to see there? And how are we best going to be able to instruct the patient? And so a lot of that was done either uh, before or after the visit, um, uh, just to keep the, uh, the telemedicine visit as succinct as possible. Did you spend more time than you would have done with a face-to-face visit? Or the amount of time you took uh, with the pre-visit and talking with the residents during, during the visit and post-visit was almost similar. What's your experience with these few encounters that you've had? Yeah, so uh, let me break that down into the two different uh, settings. One is when I've been doing the independent practice and the other while supervising the residents. On the resident side of things, in some ways they've almost been faster because I've been able to actually directly observe the visits. And so uh, the way that the telemedicine software that we use works is uh, I can be either invited into the call or I can uh, be a part of the call and uh, be a silent observer for that. And so I can see and be a participant in the history taking as well as uh, see exactly what the residents uh, were uh, requesting the patients to do and and then be able to give them some pointed feedback afterwards. Uh, And we found that helpful. Getting to your uh, your, uh, first question about uh, the duration of appointments, they've been a little bit shorter because uh, the uh, five to 10 minutes of exam, depending on uh, whether it's a, a general exam or if it's a, a problem-focused exam, have not been a part of the visit. And so we're uh, able to dive a little bit deeper into either the chart, being able to pull up uh, some of the outside records uh, through the electronic health record, or uh, if the patient's been able to uh, open up uh, their uh, EHR port, uh, through their home portal, and uh, uh, if there's any questions on specific laboratory tests or values from the past. And so it's roughly taking about the same amount of time. But as I see, this is a big advantage from the patient standpoint. If I have the patient, one of the main complaints I hear from them is, the big guy never came and saw me. I saw this junior doctor, 
he went on and on. He was great. I liked him. And the big guy came and he waved his hand for two, three minutes and he was done. But here you're there. It's like the patient is getting the blessings of two doctors at the same time. Yes, you're quiet. You're listening. You're observing. In fact, you're validating what the resident is saying. And you're probably stopping and correcting them when they are. So the patient probably gets more reassured that, hey, I'm getting uh, I'm really value for my money. Is that something that uh, you think the patient could be perceiving? Potentially. At first, there's a little bit of confusion why, why there's two names on the screen when uh, my name's not the one that's on the, uh, the schedule for the person they're seeing. But uh, once we introduce this often, uh, demonstrate the role of what, uh, what we're doing as a part of that visit, it makes sense. And uh, from uh, our experience, uh, the patients seem to appreciate the, uh, the input from uh, having two people take a look at their case. I know our experience is rather limited, six weeks, and even the, even the clinics have not been in full I would say in full run right now, it's just probably a small number of patients. But you think the telehealth would work equally for somebody with a knee problem, back problem? I mean, the whole variety, the range of patients, at least the initial workup, would it be similar in your experience? It really depends on what the purpose of the visit is. Is this somebody who needs further imaging or in a specific test? Let's say uh, is this somebody who you think might need x-ray or a MRI for, uh, for a knee issue or back issue? Or is this something where likely conservative uh, therapy would be the best way to go forward? And uh, some of the same things that uh, we can do in the exam, or in the physical exam, we can have our patients do as well remotely. Some things are difficult. Uh, for example, if you're looking for a, a laxity in the knee, that might point towards an ACL injury, for example. Obviously, you can't do that. And it's uh, tough to have a, a patient be able to pull on their knee enough to uh, be able to demonstrate that laxity for us. But it, you can really just use it for triage in, in a lot of different ways. Is this somebody who needs to come in, be physically seen, and then uh, uh, go on for further testing? Or is this somebody who, let's try these uh, other few interventions first to see how they go. And also it, what it really does is uh, meets patients where they are. In other situations, especially going forward, once the COVID situation is over, uh, we're able to save our patients a lot of time. We're meeting them where they are and so that they don't have to spend a half day off work to be able to uh, come into a doctor's appointment. And then once they're done, they can go back to their lives. That's a big time saving. You don't spend money on parking, finding a place for that, walking up to the 17th floor in the Mayo Clinic. And that's a lot of work for patients and it goes in our patient satisfaction. But apart from them, uh, this is, these are all value added what kind of messaging are we giving which tells the patient that is more than just a one-time thank you, see you, do this and that. There's a lot of follow-up. There's a value added for the patient. Absolutely. Well, for, for one, I hope they're not walking up to the 17th floor because that's a long ways to go. <laughs> but yeah, it's a great question because uh, so uh, when we see patients face-to-face, -face, often one of the most important parts of that visit is, uh, is that, okay, then what part at the end of the discussion? Uh, so we're, here's our plan of what we're going to do. And here are the things we're looking for that uh, might mean you need to come back and see us because things may not be progressing the way we expect. And uh, that's, it's the same type of idea that we're using for these visits. Here's what we think is going on. Here's the, uh, the conservative management we'd recommend. So if you have knee issues, uh, ankle issues, rest, ice compression, elevation, et cetera. And if things are getting worse, uh, you mentioned uh, uh, looking at either heart issues or respiratory issues. Uh, if you're having more trouble breathing, especially in the, the, uh, the COVID situation that we're uh, handling right now, being able to uh, watch somebody physically breathe and see if they have that, that demonstration of air hunger 
that you can see, uh, see if they're looking distressed. Um, there's a lot of different uh, anticipatory guidance we can give people that uh, can really help uh, give direction for those next steps. Plus, we're available with the telemedicine. If things are, aren't uh, going well and they need to get in touch with someone, it's, they don't have to, again, come in to see us. We can address things at home. So uh, what kind of technology are the patients using? Are they just looking at the laptops, iPhone, iPads, or what's the basic tools that they have to have to interact with you in the clinic? The devices they've been using uh, have been anywhere ranging from a laptop. Uh, so webcam is essential uh, in order for this to work. Uh, and that can either be through a uh, iOS or Android device, iPhone, iPad, uh, any other smartphone uh, with, that has the webcam capabilities. But also people are using laptops and uh, other types of devices as well. And so how good is the, the technology right now to get some of the non-verbals uh, from the patient? I mean, uh, just looking at the emotions and uh, are we good at it? I know we are not able to use some of those modalities, the stethoscopes, the otoscope, all of these hang around our, the walls of our clinic like ancient things, but how good are we without using these tools? I understand we are mailing out things to the patient sometimes, like a pulse ox or something, automatic things, if, if that's important for the patients. But what are the gadgets which are available right now? Yeah, so uh, there are some uh, third-party devices that are available where uh, you can get attachments for smartphones that can do otoscopy, or they, that uh, you can uh, look inside someone's throat if you want to do a, a remote assessment for, let's say, uh, a strep pharyngitis. Um, so those, those types of things do exist, but otherwise, uh, a lot of it really depends on positioning and lighting. And so uh, if you want to watch someone's gait, for example, let's say if you have a, a neurologic concern and you want to see if there is any evidence of a radiculopathy causing foot drop, you have to be able to have uh, enough room so you can watch the patient walk, have them uh, be able to walk on their toes, walk on their heels, and see if there's any evidence of weakness. And so uh, a lot of it really depends on if there's any extra help that's available. If there's, let's say, a table the patient can place their phone or their, their laptop on or their iPad on, and so that you can uh, watch them demonstrate uh, some specific maneuvers. Certain things are not going to be easy to see. So, for example, if we're looking to uh, see if someone's having any uh, heart issues, uh, let's say heart failure exacerbation, and they're having a little bit of trouble breathing, you're not going to be able to see uh, the jugular venous pulse on their, uh, their neck. Uh, a lot of times just because the resolution for these video chats is not good enough to be able to see something like that. So is it worthwhile for the patient to have like a care attendant with them so that when they are doing this walking and putting their leg up, uh, the person can put the camera in a way that you can see it or help the patient do it? Uh, would you recommend that? It might be helpful in certain situations. For example, let's say if you want to uh, be able to assess someone uh, for uh, lower extremity edema. For example, if you're looking to see if they uh, are having any worsening heart symptoms. That might, might require either a, a trip to the emergency department or uh, even just a change in their diuretic dose. In that situation, the viewing angle uh, to take a look at uh, swelling in someone's leg, if you have the patient hold the phone, you're getting a top-down view. And you might not get the, uh, be able to appreciate the leg swelling as much as if there was a side view. And so uh, even, even uh, simple things like the uh, change in angle might make it easier to have uh, an extra person involved with the, uh, the visit. Uh, just so you can get a, a slightly diff different view. That's more what you're used to being able to see in the clinic. I mean, I've always found in the clinic when the spouse comes, they're the ones to leak out all the secrets of the patients saying that they're not uh, compliant with the diet or smoking or alcohol or whatever. 
uh, and I have encouraged them with my apologies that, you know, uh, I shouldn't get you into trouble, but whatever you say is going to help your husband. And they've been more than forthcoming. So I wonder if you've seen any of these side chatter and banter, if the patient is there with their caregivers and are they arguing, are they agreeing, or because now they're in the video, they are behaving themselves. No, I've actually found those situations to be pretty helpful. Uh, for example, if uh, there is either uh, something in another room that, uh, that uh, could be retrieved that uh, would provide useful information, they've been able to go retrieve that. And so lab tests or be able to look up something on a computer, therefore leaving the patient to be able to be on the phone and we can continue our discussion. Um, I found that actually to be pretty helpful. Also, like with what I was just mentioning, being able to hold the phone so that uh, the patient can perform some of these different uh, maneuvers. So now we are in a new opportunity now. So the residency training, medical school training was, okay, face-to-face, -face, uh, a lot of mentoring going on, hand-holding and teaching. Now it's the, it's telemedicine now in teaching clinics. So how is it going to give opportunities for uh, the faculty members in learning themselves and then teaching some of these essentials? Uh, are you developing any new curriculum or uh, aware of new curriculum which is coming up? I'm sure AAMC are seeing that they are coming up with a curriculum on this uh, aspect, but how does it, uh, does it make the residency more complicated or more, uh, regardless of whether they think it complicated or not, it is here to stay. So my thing would be how do we make it easier for the residents and from our standpoint as uh, people who are going to evaluate and being evaluated by our patients, what all skills do we need to learn? A great question. Um, I think, uh, for one, we're going to have to be uh, familiar with the, the technology ourselves. And so it's tough to, it's tough to do any teaching if uh, we ourselves are not uh, familiar with it. And so um, just being familiar with what can be done, what can't be done with this technology, and then pass along that, uh, that knowledge uh, along to the learners uh, with that. It does add an extra uh, uh, step uh, into the residency training process. Uh, going forward, we're now going to have a uh, likely a mix of uh, video and non-video visits uh, as a part of a, a residence training calendar, and being able to adjust things on the uh, on the fly. Uh, there's also as the, the calendar uh, management component of it, whereas you won't have someone waiting in their waiting room; you'll have someone waiting at home, and uh, how best to manage uh, that side of things. There are going to be new opportunities to uh, do observation with this, and we've been able to use that within our residency clinic, where we've been able to watch the entire history-taking process, being able to uh, participate like I was describing earlier. And that's been uh, very helpful to give uh, selective uh, feedback on the types of questions being asked and the, the data gather, uh, gathering skills that ultimately I think will help a lot of our learners. One of the things which I, I found is uh, the complaint of the patient is, my doc is always looking at the computer and I'm here giving the history because you're typing in Epic or whatever. But here, when you're taking the history, you're looking directly at the patient, even though you may be typing them the way the cameras are set up. So the patient gets the feeling that you are looking at them directly and you're having like a face-to-face -face, uh, encounter all through. Is that, in your experience, is that being commented by the patient or it's too early for that kind of comment? It's too early and that's, that's something that I think there's gonna have to be a conscious uh, effort be made not to continue typing during the entire uh, a visit because, uh, of course, depending on where microphone placement is, uh, you can hear every keystroke uh, from the patient's point of view. Uh, that might be distracting. And if the enhanced history taking side of things is going to be helpful for our patients, 
we want to be able to uh, listen uh, to every key detail uh, with that. And so because uh, we have the computer on and we have, we'll have the chart open available to us, doesn't necessarily mean that we need to, need to include it as a part of our business. So you think it's going to overall enhance some of our skills, our listening skills, our observing skills, and uh, just the communication skills. Of course, that's going to be a new way of communication that we have. What are the things that you are thinking that when you're evaluating the residents, they'll be evaluating on these skills other than just pure history taking? Yeah, so uh, a lot of it will also be with communication. Uh, communication is, of course, a, a two-way, how well you receive and how well you transmit. And uh, part of that is when you're delivering, uh, the, especially those really important instructions uh, at the end of the, vi uh, the visit, where uh, here's what our plan is, uh, and using the same techniques that we learn in training the, uh, with the teach-back method, uh, making sure that our patients uh, understand the, the instructions, understand uh, when they might need to be seen face-to-face. And if that's the case, uh, who they should uh, go see, whether to give us a call back or if they might need to be seen in either urgent care or, or uh, emergency care. And so it really does help us focus on the uh, delivery of some of, uh, some of that other content. And we're able to directly observe that uh, within our trainees. And so being able to give uh, some of that formative feedback uh, while our uh, residents are giving uh, or communicating the plan uh, it will also be helpful because we may be able to uh, transmit some of our tips uh, that we've learned over the last uh, uh, five, 10 years uh, working with patients. So let me go over a list of uh, physical signs and just to say your yes and no, what is the current state and what can be developed with, uh, uh, with simulation and advancement. So you mentioned about the eyes, the throat and the, and the ear. We currently now have some ways of looking at that and getting an idea the JVD is something that we need to work on. The heart sounds, you said, we can listen uh, with the devices that are given uh, or the enhancements with the iPhone. What about the lung sounds? Is there any ways so of the, uh, hearing it? The same stethoscope uh, that uh, might be available to listen for heart sounds could uh, potentially be used for breath sounds. The, the difficulty with that is unless the, the patient has an extra person with him, uh, especially to hear uh, the breath sounds posteriorly, um, it might be difficult to adequately assess that because you only will have the anterior assessment from self-placement of the stethoscope. So I'm going to come down to the ab abdomen in the last. So neurology, you said the gait, we can look at tremors. Joint, you said we could look at swellings. Of course, we can look at the hepatic nodules and other kind of nodules in the joint, not Absolutely. feeling it. The rash, even though we are not feeling it, we can take pictures of it. They can send us more enhanced pictures and get a good idea. I mean, it's not like, you're going to do a most procedure based on a picture. Uh, you need a biopsy. But then coming to the abdomen, can we do anything with the abdomen other than ascites uh, or feeling that, you know, there's a big distended belly? Is there anything we can, um, do we have any technology which looks at maybe an abdominal brewery or the size of the liver or spleen or whatever? So a lot, a lot of what you're, uh, you're forced or limited uh, to is uh, what you can either see or uh, have the patient express through self-palpation. And so uh, when you're doing an abdominal exam, there's going to be certain things you can see on an inspection, such as spider angiomata, so if you're looking for uh, chronic liver disease, um, or if there's any evidence of what might be a size, although that can be sometimes tough to see. Um, if someone's got abdominal pain, uh, of course, you can always ask, uh, where does it hurt? Um, and then have the patient press in. Uh, exactly where it is. And then to see if, uh, one of the things that can be helpful is you can have the patients do a Carnet sign. 
And uh, so uh, if you want to be able to see if there might be uh, some sign of uh, abdominal wall pain as, a, as the source of uh, abdominal pain, have them uh, flex their abdominal muscles while pushing in. It might not be as sensitive as if we were doing it ourselves, but if you get a positive there, uh, the abdominal wall pain, or the abdominal pain might be abdominal wall rather than something internal. And so uh, just being creative uh, in uh, the way to assess uh, that type of examination through self-palpation, there are some opportunities there. I would say that if there's any question at all where um, you think that they might need to be seen in person, uh, that's probably the way to go. Sure. And of course, costochondritis, you can have them press on a couple of points and show them how to do it. Sure. And, you know, so th that's great. So we've been talking about telemedicine with Dr. Chris Acre and how telemedicine has jump-started a lot of our clinical medicine and it's not going to be complimentary. It is going to be a way of life. It is going to be a way where we uh, talk with our patients regularly uh, on a synchronous basis, which means with them out there, uh, we're going to talk with them. And that lands a huge learning opportunities for the educators of today and tomorrow, uh, how we are going to teach our medical students, our residents, our fellows, uh, what are the ethics behind telemedicine, which is going to be a focus of a different talk altogether. But I, I, I thank you, Chris, for bringing this very important topic and laying it out for us. I'm looking forward to talking with you once you gather a lot more stories and experience and uh, for us. That's going to be a great thing. So before I wind down, any last comments from you, Chris? Uh, because th this is so new for everybody, uh, uh, this is really something where you just need to jump in and do it. And um, in doing so, you'll develop your own style with this. And um, uh, every technology that, that uh, facilitates these telemedicine visits has its uh, uh, limitations and advantages. Uh, so just being used to that, uh, used to uh, how to use the software, how to share your screen. So if you want to be able to show the, uh, our patients remotely what their chest x-ray looked like or what their laboratory things look like. Um, there are different ways you can use this technology can that can really make these visits almost as close to a physical in-person visit as possible. And so uh, my uh, one bit of advice would be just get, uh, jump right in. And so uh, before I wind down, just uh, if you have some reference articles or some good videos that you would suggest uh, our uh, listeners to listen to? Absolutely. Uh, the American College of Physicians has uh, put together a great uh, uh, set of modules for uh, telemedicine that I do highly recommend, and I'll uh, be able, happy to send that to you. Thank you, Chris. So we have been talking with Dr. Christopher Acre, Vice Chair of our Artificial Intelligence from the Department of Internal Medicine, somebody who's in the cutting edge, somebody who's teaching uh, students from all over, from medical students to staff. And we're looking forward to Dr. Akri to lead us in this direction. We end today with our podcast. If you enjoyed the Mayo Clinic Talk podcast, please subscribe, stay healthy, and I'll see you next week.